and welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. My name is Scott Miller and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today I'm honored to be joined by one of the nation's renowned thought leaders on the concept of organizational customer loyalty and Franklin Covey's very own global practice leader on the same topic. Sandy Rogers, welcome to our studio. Thank you so much. Scott. Honored to have you here. Great to be Came here. Came in from DC last night, understand? Yes. It's always nice to go from the humidity to Utah weather, to right? 92 degrees. To 92. When I got out, yeah. It was actually 101 <laughs> yesterday, but no, no humidity here makes it a little more palatable than the East Coast. Hey, delighted to spend some time with you today. You spent the better part of your career coming, becoming really a global expert on coaching and advising and counseling organizations on how to build what you call fierce loyalty, not just brand loyalty. Before we talk about that, I want to hear a little bit of your journey and experience. Tell, tell us where you got started and how you built this uh, expertise on customer loyalty. Well, thanks, Scott. After uh, going to college at Duke, I had the good fortune of working in brand management at Procter & Gamble in the soft drink business. And then I uh, went, went to business school, and, and after a couple of years at Harvard, I went to Apple Computer and yep. worked in marketing there. And after three years, I had the great fortune to meet Jack Taylor, the founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and spend most of my career there. I began initially um, with the challenge of helping to build a brand mm -hmm. to let people, you know, to lead marketing and help people learn about enterprise so they came back and chose enterprise on their own. But during my time there, I got involved in operations, figuring out a way to improve customer service, strategic planning. It was really an interesting career. What a great ride. I mean, three careers that I'm guessing Fortune 100 companies. Everyone would love to have a portfolio of Procter & Gamble, Apple, and Enterprise. I'm guessing you learned a lot in your own experience before you started really thinking and, and writing and teaching about this. What are some of the key things you learned from your experience 25, 30 years across those three brands around building loyalty with customers? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in marketing, um, but what I think one of the most important things I learned is the importance of people and how they make us feel mm -hmm. in, in building a great brand. You know, when we think about loyalty and then fierce loyalty, it often comes down to the feelings that we have in interacting with other human beings. And that's really the magic that we brought alive in, in enterprise and, and figuring out how to triple that business. I mean, and people can be the make or break point. I mean, you can spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars building a brand and have perhaps a very junior, maybe even well-intentioned employee who's probably not the most educated or the most compensated or the most excited about their job really have a break experience for a customer. Exactly, you know, the people on the front line, they could be, you know, live in person in a branch or in a call center, or they could be, you know, digitally communicating with customers. They have a tremendous impact on how we feel about the brand and the business, particularly when there's a problem. You know, we can have the best technology in the world, an app that makes everything easy, but sometimes something will go wrong and you actually need to talk to a human being to right. solve it. And that's the moment of truth. That's when you can see whether these important values for earning loyalty come alive. You know, do they take time to really hear my story, to, to take responsibility to, to fix my problem, and do they treat me generously? And, and when you do, it creates a, a tremendous emotional reaction that, that drives the fierce loyalty we've written about in this book. It's so true. I can think about you know, one of my credit cards and the airline that I'm loyal to and hospitality programs. You can sometimes dread calling in. And then you get, you get hopefully, it seems to me more and more, you get a really passionate, compassionate person on the phone that solves your problem. And they weren't really part of your experience. They weren't part of paying my bill, but just the extra effort they gave on the phone to kind of get to the bottom of your problem and help you solve it is, is resonant with you, with me. And it's the little stuff. I mean, I remember one morning I was desperate for a cup of coffee 
And um, I go to my Keurig machine, and the thing's not working. And so I think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to call and figure out how to get my machine to work. And nobody wants to call up and wait online for the whole music. And the, but to my surprise, uh, they, somebody uh, connected me with somebody right away. And this incredibly kind, generous person said, well, tell me about your machine. Which hmm. one do you have? Hmm. She walked me through each step um, to fix my machine hmm. so I can get my, my cup of coffee. And I said, well, you don't have to wait. I don't want you to have to wait for a minute while we let the machine do the next step. She said, hey, it's no problem. Hmm. Take your time. Let's get this hmm. machine working. She was on my side. She really cared about my cup of coffee as much as I did. She was being incented and was trained for the outcome, not checking you off hmm. in 30 seconds. I mean, her. I guess the reward system in her company was to ensure that she had a satisfied customer at the end of that call. I got the sense that she wasn't encumbered by any scripts, yeah. that, that she was told, hey, do whatever it takes to make the customer happy. Jack Taylor, the founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, he said, look, it's really simple. When people walk out of one of our branches, we want them to say, this is the best customer experience I've ever had anywhere. And I'm going to trust you to use your God-given talents to figure out how to make that happen. There's no scripts. We're not going to tell you how to do it. Just, you know, treat people like you would if they were coming to your house for a dinner party. Mm -hmm. So great to hear a CEO of a big brand think and feel and hire to that. You were enterprise for 15, 16 years? 14 years. 14 years. And you've been with our firm for over 10. So you've spent the better part of 25 plus years not just implementing but studying and consulting on this. What are some of the things that you took away from your experience at Enterprise that have been illustrated in our customer loyalty offering and soon to be a book that you co-author, we'll talk about in a moment here. What are some of the key tenets that you learned from Enterprise? One of the things we learned early on, I was the marketing guy at Enterprise trying to figure out how to get people to choose Enterprise on their own. Hmm. The company had grown to a billion dollars from referrals from auto manufacturers, dealers, body shops, insurance companies. But we wanted people to choose Enterprise on their own and we knew that we had to give them a great experience one that was worthy to tell their friends about. Because for the vacationing consumer, they typically didn't see Enterprise as one of the key brands to select. Is that why? That's right. Well, Enterprise right. wasn't at the airport for the first 35 years of its existence. I see. Enterprise invented the hometown car rental. So when your car was in the shop, yes. you got a replacement car from Enterprise. And you learned about the company yeah. through a referral. Yeah. Yeah. But to really build the brand, we had to get people to know Enterprise on their own. Hmm. When I left Apple to join Enterprise, they hadn't heard of Enterprise running hmm. a car. Um, and we knew when I joined the company that our experience was pretty good. It varied widely across the company, but we had no measure of customer service, even though customer service was our most important value. Imagine a company today that doesn't have customer service in its mission statement. Everybody does. But, you, you know, as Peter Drucker told us, what gets measured gets managed. And so I was a, an early proponent, along with some others, to measure customer service every month across all our branches. We had 3,000 back then. And some of our operating people felt, hey, what's that going to cost? It's going to cost a couple of million dollars a year to have a good metric of who was providing good service and who wasn't. And I said, well, let's do a test to see if we actually know who needs our help in coaching. Novel idea. And what the operators, uh, what we found out was we really had no idea hmm. which of our branches were doing well and which weren't. And if you go to a restaurant and the wait person asks you, how was everything, Scott? Nine times out of ten, you know, with our spouse on date night, we'll say, it's fine. Right. Even if it was terrible, we'll right. just say fine because we don't want to get in an argument. Right. Um, and so we really wanted to have a metric so we could identify correctly every month mm -hmm. so we could balance the pursuit of profit with providing great customer service. Mm -hmm. Because if we knew if we did that more consistently, it would drive tremendous growth in our business. Mm -hmm. And it did. And so in the first two years of having a metric, we, um, we, had, no pro we had no change in our performance, which was surprising. Everybody kept doing what they always did. And then Jack Taylor, our founder, said, 
I'm really serious about this. And we made a key decision to go from talking about customer service to really putting some teeth behind the metric. Mm -hmm. So from that point forward, all these college graduates that start at the bottom at Enterprise and work their way up in one of the branches, we wouldn't promote anybody if their customer service was below the company average. Cindy, stop there, because that's insightful. Because in most organizations, two years of not showing results, typically you would say, okay, well, never mind, let's move to the next program. It really showed a lot of insight, perhaps with both you and others and the CEO to say, we're so serious, we're gonna double down on this. But not, and yet not showing any results on it, right? And, and our CEO, Andy Taylor, you know, the son of Jack Taylor, the founder, he doubled down on this. He said, hey, we're not gonna promote people. We gotta live our values. We gotta put our money where our mouth is. And it unleashed this incredible creativity. And unlike what a lot of organizations do where they'll say, well, we're not getting better, so let's have a longer survey, let's get more right. surveys. We did just the opposite. We went to a shorter survey, which we knew people would take so the results would be accurate. And then we empowered our frontline management teams to figure out you know, why their customers weren't happy. We avoided the temptation to tell them and said, well, why do you think, Scott, that 30% of your customers aren't happy with their experience? What are you learning as the manager as you watch your people interacting with customers? What are you learning as you follow up with unhappy customers? What's your plan to get better? It takes a little longer to ask those questions and empower people on the front line, but it builds ownership and commitment to the solution. Mm. And, it, and it, frankly, over the next 10 years, it enabled enterprise to triple the business. And is that about when you became associated with Fred Reicheld, who many know from the Bain organization and the author of The Ultimate Question and NPS, Net Promoter Score? Is that about when you started to uh, meet him and talk with him and learn some of his insights? I met Fred at a marketing conference, and I, he had not heard of enterprise. Either, I invited no. him to St. Louis. I wanted him to meet Andy and Jack Taylor. I said, these are the kind of people, Fred. You love loyalty, these people live and breathe loyalty, you've got to come see us. And he wrote an article in Harvard Business Review, I believe in 2003, that introduced the idea of the Net Promoter Score and it was all about the story I just shared at Enterprise. Mm, wow. And then he went on to write The Ultimate Question right. and this whole methodology for Net Promoter Scores mm -hmm. and building a great culture. And but, then Ultimate Question too, which has been kind of a seminal book in the industry. Exactly. And it's also led to some of our own thinking in terms of our own customer loyalty offering as well. You've been the practice leader for our global loyalty offering for about a decade now. You've worked with literally hundreds of large clients around their own customer loyalty. You keep coming back to the concept of people. Tell us how that presents unique challenges for organizations when they try to make the people part of customer loyalty, fierce loyalty, their central investment. You know, one of the real challenges, you can have great metrics to identify who needs coaching, you know, who needs to get better. But then the next challenge is, is, well, how do I help them get better? Um, and, and one of the things that, that we have learned through working with a lot of clients over the years is that the frontline leader is the leverage point in creating the culture that enables employees to do great things for customers. Um, and so if we want to change the behavior of the people who service, whether, again, it's online or digital or live, we've got to change the behavior of their leaders. Um, and so we've identified the principles that we've got to teach leaders to bring alive in, you know, in the workplace with their workers. We gotta first earn the loyalty of, the, of our frontline people if we want to then earn the loyalty of the customers. My friend Shep Hyken frequently says, the customer experience rarely exceeds the employee experience. Hmm. So we gotta make sure the employees mm -hmm. are excited about coming to work every day and mm -hmm. empowered to do great things to enrich the lives of customers. 
In fact, I think I read once where Dr. Covey wrote, and has many others, is if you want great you know, customers, you'd have to treat your, treat your employees first. Exactly. I, I have seen a bit of a palpable shift as I speak around the nation and the world, how organizations seem to have moved away from the customer first mentality back to employee first. Doesn't mean customers are second. It just means we have to invest in our people and they will take care of our customers. Exactly. It seems like it's become not just popular more recently, but more serious. Yes, and, and it takes time. It, t it takes trust, mm -hmm. you know, to allow people to, to, to do what, you know, what they think is right, to provide great. Take, take, there's an airline that, that we often fly where there, there are certain regulations. You have to provide the safety announcement. You've got to cover these words and phrases. But this airline empowers their employees to sing them, mm -hmm. to deliver the message with, with comedy, and it's a win-win. It's I mean, it's fun for the passengers. I mean, they're actually paying attention to the safety announcement. It's fun for the employees. They get to share their gifts of singing, and everybody has some fun. So how do you create an environment where you trust people to enrich the lives of each other and their customers? And you can see other airlines trying to model some of that within their own culture. Yes. Like we, know, we all know the airline you're speaking about. Yes. And I'm actually very loyal to another airline as well. And you can see the other airline trying to bring some of that humor into their safety videos, but we don't want to go too far, right? You can yes. see others try to, try to integrate some of that with mm -hmm. a little bit of apprehension even. We're a big fan of, of really kind of turning a servant leadership kind of model that we really want the, the senior leaders to be putting the frontline people into a position to use their talents to do great things for customers. So you mentioned these three principles. I want to go there in a second. Uh, after your past decade with Franklin Covey and all of our engagements, you and Lena Renee and Sean Moon have co-authored a new book coming out in November. I'm not sure when this broadcast will air, but sometime in the summer of 18, it's July right now, and you've uh, authored this new book called Fierce Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion. I love that tagline. Uh, this is the culmination of your and uh, the co-authors learning, and core to this are these three principles. Walk us through these principles we know as empathy, responsibility, and generosity. Give us some texture for those three. Listen, we all want loyalty, right? We want loyalty from our spouse, from our family, from our friends, from The president our wants it, apparently. <laughs> Everybody wants loyalty. But you know, how do, how do we earn fierce loyalty? And, and we have discovered through a lot of work and a lot of different organizations that to earn loyalty in any relationship comes down to living three core principles. And these are, you've got to first show empathy for people. You've got to feel what they're feeling. And it's got to be genuine and real. And then once you have empathy for them, you've got to take responsibility for helping them accomplish what it is they're trying to get done. And thirdly, you've got to be generous with them. You know, give them more than they expect. But when we live those three principles, um, it enables us to earn not just loyalty, but fierce loyalty. Not the kind of loyalty that comes from a rewards program or a discount or a cool app that we love, but the kind of loyalty that gets us to talk about a great brand or a fun safety announcement we heard at an airline at a cocktail party with our friends. I'm guessing one of the reasons why you're so fiercely passionate around the people side of loyalty is, I'm guessing increasingly as price becomes uh, a, a belief window, as Hiram Smith would say, or a paradigm from which I buy, you're, you're working with organizations that struggle with when their competitive advantage isn't price. In fact, just last week, my wife came home with a toy she'd bought for one of our son's birthday parties for a friend. And it was, I don't, the toy doesn't matter, but she found it at a big discount retailer for about 30% less than she'd found it at her local toy store. And she was super excited about that because one of her key lenses is price. It isn't customer service per se, although I have another story that would you know, differentiate that for her. 
Um, I guess it's more difficult for organizations to, when they can't compete on price, they have to compete on the people side. On empathy and, 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 and responsibility and generosity. I mean, I, I will bet you that 90% of organizations recognize the need to compete on some aspect of service. Yeah. And, and given the, the availability of information and how transparent pricing is, you know, to provide a real difference, you know, it comes to, the, to these things we're talking about. Make it easy for me to do business with you. And when I need to interact with a human being, give me an experience that's worthy of telling friends about. In fact, you see that on both sides with Amazon, right? I mean, typically price exactly. leader and also extraordinary customer service. You know, Lana, one of our co-authors, tells this wonderful story where she had ordered a whole bunch of stuff. It didn't come, and she ended up calling the company you just mentioned. And they not only helped her order everything again, which saved her the hassle of having to do it, they said, hey, no problem, we're going to take care of the cost of this. And she said, what? We've had the exact same experience with that which, company. Which is, talk about fierce yeah, loyalty. Right. And that's incredibly generous. Yeah. It's showing empathy. It's taking responsibility for getting your need done. And that's leaders like at, at Enterprise that are, that are dead serious around building that kind of culture. You see this at great companies like Zappos. You see it at just a wide yeah. range of organizations right. that really believe in people right. and the power of human connection. So now beneath these three core principles, empathy, responsibility, generosity, there are then I think six behaviors that you also identify with your co-authors. If I can run through those. Connect, listen, discover, follow up, share, and surprise. Yes. Spend a couple of, uh, maybe a minute on each of those. Give us some context for the first one, connect. So, so what we're trying to do here in this book is make it easy for anyone to become a loyalty leader. And, and, to t and with the team to earn loyalty. And so we've broken these three principles. We've got two practices for each principle. So okay. for empathy, if you want to show empathy for me, two things have to happen. The first practice is, is you've got to make a genuine human connection. Now think about it. Sometimes you go into a store and somebody will say, find, any, find everything you were looking for. Mm -hmm. right. They don't make eye contact. You know they don't really care. That's not a genuine connection. Typically, it's, it's part of their, their required it's, script, it's right? It's part of yeah. their required script. It doesn't fool anybody. Right. Okay, but if somebody says, no, no, really. I mean, I, I'm, did, did, is there anything else we could have done to help you today? We know very quickly whether the connection is genuine or not, and that makes a difference. The next step, if you want to show empathy, is you've got to, to listen to their story. You've got to, to, to spend enough time to understand what their hidden story is, because you can't have empathy for me if you don't know what's really going on in my heart. And, and that's where the magic happens, because as soon as you're sitting on the same side of the table that I am, and you're feeling when I'm, you don't have to agree with me, but when you're sitting on the same side of the table, now we've got a connection, and that's the first step to earning my loyalty. But having empathy for me is the starting point. Then I need you to take responsibility to help me do what really needs to get done. And for a lot of times, people will say, well, look, I'm looking for a wrench. Um, but you gotta, so here's the first practice. You've gotta discover the real job mm -hmm. they need that wrench to do. So, so why, why do you need a wrench? Well, I've got this old gate in my backyard and I gotta get these, these bolts off. And well, what do the bolts look like? Come with me, let's go over to where the wrenches are and, and tell me which of the bolts it looks like and so we can get you the right wrench that you're gonna need to get the job done. That's how we earn loyalty. And so it's discovering the real job to be done and then it's following up. How did that work? Did the, did the fence come down the way you thought it would? And if there's a problem, and here's where real magic occurs, if there's a problem, what a wonderful opportunity to make it right and, and to take mm -hmm. ownership for the problem and to solve it. 
cancel. I've got a wonderful story from Marriott that shows the difference between guests that had no problem and guests that had a problem, and the fact that the guests that had a problem that Marriott resolved are even more loyal because they got to show what they're all about. I believe it because when you have a service recovery scenario, you tend to remember and then evangelize that story more than everything went well. Exactly. I'm not going to come back from Marriott and tell people about everything was fine. I'm going to evangelize negatively or positively. No question. How it turned out. That's right. So we've got empathy, we have responsibility, and the third is generosity. And there's two practices here. Generous people share their insights. They share their knowledge, their wisdom. They share it openly. And, and they also surprise us with unexpected extras. It's the little things. It's, you know, I walk out of the store and, and somebody in a genuine way says, thanks so much for coming. And, and they actually mean it. And so there are little generous things that we can do. It can be a personal note. It can be a, a, you know, just a follow-up. You remember the fact that I was running a marathon last week and asked me about it. Generosity transforms people. It enriches our lives. And I'm guessing for the average frontline worker who isn't being paid or perhaps fully trained to do that, they're working for an organization where that organization has also invested in connecting them to the mission of the organization. They see a career path for themselves. They see more than just a nine to five job because the average frontline worker isn't gonna probably have the innate passion or training to do that. These are people who are part of an organization that they feel loyal to themselves. And that's the exciting thing we see that when organizations, frontline leaders are embracing these principles and practices for earning loyalty and they're doing the huddles that we, we there's 11 short simple huddles, do them one a week, 10 or 15 minutes where you bring one of these loyalty principles or practices to life. Um, so you teach it, you give everybody a chance to lead the huddle so everybody gets to teach it. You celebrate like crazy when people are doing these things. You point out, oh my gosh, let me tell a story about Lori and what she did to show empathy to this customer. And then you make a little commitment, hey, let's just try to do this a little bit more often between now and next week when we come back to our next huddle. And um, it's just that simple, bringing these things to life. And so you're, we're transforming the employee experience to be a place where people are, it's, they're having fun, they're proud of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, pay, benefits, those, those are hygiene factors. You gotta get them right, you gotta get them in an acceptable range. But the difference between a good and a great job is put people in a position to enrich the lives of other people whether it's our colleagues or it's our customers. That's what sends me home every night with a smile on my face. I made a difference today. I wanna to come back to the huddles in a minute. Let's regroup. So the three principles are empathy, responsibility, generosity. You mentioned the first two practices, I call them behaviors, connect and listen. In, in the midst of listen, you mentioned two concepts. One was the hidden story and one was the job to be done. Are those the same? Well, they're different. In understanding the hidden story, you're getting the narrative behind the need. You're understanding what the uh. emotions are. Um, so you know, you're finding out why the customer is upset about something. You're finding out, I'll, I'll tell you a story I heard, uh, calling on a, the, the CEO of a major um, baby supply store chain. And he said, um, you know, we had a, a young father come in and he wanted to return a bunch of baby items and um, he didn't have the receipt. And our people, you know, we have a policy. We can't take items back without the receipt. How do we know if you bought them here? Um, and we didn't take here, this is the CEO explaining the story. We didn't take the time to, to understand what his hidden story was. And we later found out what his hidden story was on social media because right. everybody in the world read right. the story right. and how insensitive we were about, mm. you know, they had lost their baby, they'd had a miscarriage. And mm. it was, a, 
But you know, and shame on me that the CEO was saying that I hadn't made it okay for our frontline people to do a better job of just understanding the stories and the emotions, mm -hmm. and and to do what to, to make it right for that family, even by, though we had by, a policy by empowering exactly. the frontline employee to do some discovery That's if right. the situation warrants it you might find there is an extenuating circumstance that allows you, That's right. permits you as an employee to make some exceptions, both by finding joy for the customer's experience and allowing them to evangelize the service recovery versus what happened with them. And, and it's as easy as, so I come into a sporting goods store and um, I'm looking for a treadmill. Think about the different options. You know, the, the person who's serving me could say, oh, no problem, Scott, they're over in aisle 14. Hey, I did my job, I, but then you're just a GPS direction finder. You know, option two is, well, come with me. Let me walk you over to aisle 14, and let me tell you about the exciting sale we're having on our $2,000 uh, model. That's catching on, because even now in grocery stores, if I'm looking for paprika, I find that the person stocking the soda over in aisle 15 will walk me over, and I feel so guilty, or walking me over to, you know, buy a $2, and they walk me six aisles over. But I feel like that concept's catching on everywhere because it isn't about selling me paprika, right? And, and so I agree, it is catching on, and it is certainly better than just pointing to aisle 14, right? right? But here's what we really want people to do. When they're walking over to aisle 14, uh, rather than thinking about how to sell them something, ask a couple of questions to understand, well, tell me about you. I mean, why are you, in the, why are you looking for paprika? Yeah. Are you cooking something special tonight? Yeah. Because through that question, we have the opportunity to learn about their hidden story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, my mother-in-law is coming over tonight, and I've just learned this great recipe, and I really want to you know, make this a special event. And now we've connected. We're learning the hidden story. And we could say, well, my gosh, you might want some of these other items to go with that wonderful mm. dinner you're preparing. Right. That's, we're on the road to building yeah. fierce loyalty. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Practices, connect, listen, talk about discovery and follow-up. So it, to be responsible, we've got to discover the real job that people want done. Because what people say, um, the first thing that comes out of their mouth isn't necessarily what mm -hmm. they really need. Because they're guarded or because they don't really know or they're not sure how to express it with confidence. Is there usually a reason why the first time isn't the whole story? Well, we oftentimes figure nobody's really interested mm -hmm. in my story. You're kind of placating them. They're placating you know, me, so I'll just, placate them. Yeah, and, and so if we let them know, no, 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 I'm, I'm really interested. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me, why, why do you want a treadmill? You know, what's, what's going on? Well, my doctor says I need to lose some weight and um, I really need to get my cholesterol down. Oh my gosh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. See, now that we're, we're discovering the real job to be done, well, first of all, you know, do you have a good pair of like, running shoes? Um, are there any other issues that, you know, with regard to running? I'm wondering if a treadmill makes the most sense or would an elliptical machine make sense? If we take the time to get into their stories and understand what job they're really trying to get done, we have a much better chance of, yeah. of helping them solve yeah. their problem. But follow-up is incredible. You know, this is where you can really blow customers away is, you know, you follow up after the fact, well, how'd the treadmill work out? You know, and if there's a problem, well, it didn't work out. You know, I couldn't figure out how to get the thing to work and there's this heart monitor and it was frustrating. You know, here is a real opportunity to say, oh my gosh, have empathy. I'm really sorry to hear that happen. Tell me the story and just listen. You know, don't be defensive. Don't try to solve the problem. Just listen and play back understanding. I, and you know, wow, I can understand how frustrating it would be to have this machine and not be able to get it to work in your basement. Um, and then take responsibility for fixing it. Well, let's get this thing fixed. You know, uh, what can I do to make this right for you? And I tell you, at Enterprise, oftentimes we were very afraid of asking the customer who had had a problem, you know, what can I do to make it right? 
There's nothing to be afraid of. Nine times out of 10, if you offer sincere apology and really hear them out, they'll say there's nothing you need to do. Thank you so much for mm. listening. Mm. Sandy, am I unique in that I feel like I'm finding a better, um, better sense of customer service in the U.S. right now? I can remember just a few weeks ago I was going to a local hardware store, part of a national chain. I, I'd never shopped there before because my previous city there wasn't one. I knew of it. I went in and the experience of a couple of different salespeople had me walking out with seven things I didn't expect to come in for but needed as part of this project. And it was, you know, uh, be directly because of the inquisitiveness and the patience of the person that kind of walked me around to four different aisles. And I spent probably quadruple what I would have spent. None of it was a burden. I actually needed it all. Ended up not needing it all, in fact. Took two or three things out of 12 back, but the net spend was higher than I ever would have spent. The return was super easy. And the whole experience, I can't imagine the person was making more than $12 an hour. But the whole experience, I'm evangelizing it here. It was Ace Hardware. I'm happy to say it. It was a phenomenal experience. Ace does a phenomenal job. And that's how they differentiate themselves, hmm. you know, versus people who just compete on price. And that is such a wonderful example of somebody who took the time to understand your story, the project you were working on, really got into what's the job that Scott needs to get done, and how frustrated would you have been if you'd gotten home and you were missing three of the pieces you needed to get the job complete? And how wonderful was it that, you know, they got you everything you needed, they gave you a couple of extra things, you came back, you made the return easy. Yeah. That's what we want I, as I will go back, I will spend probably, frightfully, thousands of dollars at that store in the coming four or five years. Of course. Yeah. You know, help people get the work done that they need done. Sandy, beyond spending time with your family, you spend most of your time, I know, with, you know, CEOs, chief customer service officers, you know, EVPs of marketing. Do you find that the investment in these principles is becoming their sort of life and mantra? Are, are the majority of customer service officers not connected to these principles? What do you see as kind of the, the current mood out there around this? Well, everybody's very um, impressed and fascinated with technology and data, and of course those things are great. You know, giving us the opportunity to learn more about our customers, to map their journeys, to bring technology to play, to make, you know, doing mm -hmm. business right. with us easier. That's right. all great. That it, and in many cases, that gets you an eight out of a 10 score. You know, think about Fred Reichel's zero to 10 score, how likely mm -hmm. would you be to recommend? In many cases, you, you'll get an eight, hey, it was good. Hey, they helped me, it, it was great, everything was fine, price was reasonable, it was helpful. Yeah, but oftentimes, the difference between an eight and a 10 is how the people made me feel about the process. Because when people get involved, we'll hear from an underperforming manager, oh, customers don't give nines and tens. You know, eight's about the best you can expect. Hmm except that they do. Because when you look at the results from great performing managers, yeah. you often see right. nines and tens. Right. And when you read the comments, when you ask the customers, why are you giving them a 10? It's because, oh, the person, like, just like you talked about at your Ace Hardware experience. Yeah. Oh, it was incredible. The guy it was took less the, time to the product yes. and more the experience with the person. And how they made me feel. Right. That they cared about me. They wanted me to be successful. It makes so sense. Uh, my wife, who does, surprisingly, all the shopping in our family, right? more than we need sometimes. As I come home, there's boxes stacked up on the front. I think one of her key goals is to get those boxes in the house and distributed before I walk in the front door. She was sharing with me a few weeks ago, she went to a, a major retailer, stores all around the nation, send coupons all the time, and we shop there you know, frequently for supplies for the house, home goods. And my wife had our three boys, four, six, and eight, your three boys, you can relate, middle of summertime, I'm sure the boys were hot and such, go to the front counter, and the clerk was nasty. 
that the clerk excoriated my wife for putting my, her, her things on the counter before the clerk was ready. My mm -hmm. wife, who is a sophisticated, well-educated, reasonable person, uh, will never go back to this store. Ouch. And I've heard her, my wife tell this story now at multiple dinner parties over the summer about how offended she was by this one person. Now, who knows what the hidden story was behind the clerk? Yeah. Perhaps they had had a rough day, or who knows? But this company has lost now I would argue probably tens of thousands of dollars in sheets and dishes and fans and towels and all that stuff over the course of our lifetime. But my wife's not going back. Yes. She'll probably go online and buy it. Think about the frontline people, often the least trained, the lowest paid, uh, the least engaged in many organizations, and yet they are essential to earning loyalty yeah. from our customers. Yeah. And so I hope in that situation there was a manager who was observed what happened with your wife and pulled that cashier aside and said, hey, let's talk about how that went. How did you feel that went with Scott's wife? What well, might have been a different uh, approach? Yeah. Um, I understand the frustration with they're putting things on the counter, but uh, this is what we encourage senior leaders to do, to empower their frontline leaders to watch, to coach, to observe, to ask questions, to avoid the temptation to write prescriptions and tell people what to do, but rather ask them, what do you think might have been a different approach in that situation? You know, could, how could we have shown empathy? You know, how could we have taken responsibility? You know, how could we have been more generous in that situation? Sandy, sidebar here. I'm going to guess my wife is fairly similar to most consumers. When you have a bad experience, they're going to just take it under the chin, leave, and then vow never to come back. And, and put it on be, social media. I'm putting it on social media. <laughs> my wife doesn't actually use social media. But I'm going to guess for the most part you just then retaliate later at cocktail parties and social media. Sure. What advice would you give the leaders that are listening to today's webcast or podcast to say, how would you make it easier for Stephanie, my wife, to have shared her story to a manager instead of just chalking it up to, well, um, good luck to you because I'm never coming back. Because leaders want to hear the stories. They want to fix it. Well, organizations today are getting more and more sophisticated of having listening posts. I mean, they're monitoring social media. Yeah, right. Um, we're getting surveyed uh, at every opportunity. Right, right. And they're very responsive at following up and learning what went wrong. But I'll tell you one of the most powerful things. I, I ran the London operation for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. So I was in operations as well as marketing. Mm -hmm. And I used to get some feedback that, well, how do you expect me to get better, Sandy, when we only have a two-question survey and I'm only getting 25 surveys a month. How am I supposed to know mm. how to get better? And I said, well, how many customers, how many runners do you serve every month? Oh, about 800 to 1,000. Mm. Well, what would prevent you from asking more right. of those renters yeah. every single right. day, hey, my name's Sandy, what if anything could we have done better to serve you today? Don't ask a yes, no question, you know, like how was it, you know, was everything okay? But, but ask a question where you show that you're genuinely interested in learning something. No, no, I'm the manager. I'd love to know. Was there anything we could have done better to serve you today? Because you can get a tremendous amount of insight right there and then. If there's a problem, you can fix it right now. If there's an issue with a cashier, you can go coach the cashier right now and prevent the problem from reoccurring mm -hmm. um, rather than waiting for a survey or some you know, online review to come out a week later. Hmm. Makes sense. Let's, because time is tight, let's finish off. So the last two are share. You talked a little bit about that, and surprise. Give us some more texture for those two. You know, sharing um, things that we know to help our, our colleagues, to help our customers, that, that is, you know, incredibly generous. You know, one of the most valuable things we can provide, Fred Reichheld calls it loving feedback. Hmm. It, it's, you know, you, you see what somebody's doing, and you know, gosh, I could just give them this tip, but I'm not sure how to do it. So in the book, we describe a process 
for how to share insights and ideas with other people in a way that makes them feel like, wow, mm. Scott, that was incredibly kind of you to mm. share that with me. And you mm -hmm. did it in a way where I feel like you're just trying to help mm -hmm. me. So sharing our thoughts and ideas is really important. The next thing is surprising people with things they don't expect. You know, generous people go above and beyond. Um, and, and so back in, in the enterprise situation where we had our scores and we told everybody you need to get better and we didn't promote mm -hmm. you if you were below average, mm -hmm. this unleashed what I'll think of as, as Darwinism. There was a tremendous amount of variation and selection that went out across these 3,000 branches back then. There's 9,000 branches today. They tried all sorts of things. So ideas like giving people a cold bottle of water on a hot day, picking people up, these ideas didn't come from the corporate office. These ideas came from our local general managers, from our branch managers, from our frontline employees, the people that are touching all the customers. And so in the book, we encourage brainstorming from the people who see the customers all day and, and come up with ideas and ones that are within your control. Try and see what works. And that's the variation. The selection happens when a neighboring branch or manager says, Scott, what are you guys doing? I mean, how is it that you've gotten so much better with your customer service? And those ideas will, will spread around the organization organically. We really like the idea of bottom-up rather than top-down so that you build ownership. You build these muscles of earning loyalty from the bottom-up. Sandy, it seems like NPS, or Net Promoter Score, has sort of swept our nation, at least in the U.S., by storm the last in few the years. In the world. In the world. And you've dedicated your life's work to the art and science of customer loyalty. I'm guessing you also have some experience with the gaming of that. Because yes. my wife and I just moved from Park City, Utah, down to Salt Lake City in the last six weeks. And we've had probably eight or ten different you know, vendor experiences, right? Uh, carpet installer, security system, and, and others. Three of those, probably eight or ten home vendors, I got a call from the installer midway through in the evening calling me. One was actually a tow company with my car recently and said, now I need to tell you, X percent of my pay is tied to whether or not I get a nine or a 10 on this. So please, when they call me, or when they call you for the survey, would you be sure to, and I, think, and I, and I kind of felt bad for them that their, their need to game it or to hedge against it. And they actually done a pretty good job. And, and are you seeing a lot of that? And how, what advice would you give to leaders who are struggling with the gaming of that system as well? Leaders need to lead. And if gaming, gaming is insidious, you know, Fred Reichelt and, and Rob Markey in their latest book uh, talk about the problem and that's, you know, this fixation on the number and then there's the gaming that that drives. I'll tell you, at Enterprise, when we had this score and a way to rank all the branches, we told them, if we catch you gaming, um, we will treat it like you taking money out of the cash box. Mm. You will get fired. Mm. And this is, a, I was sharing this story about enterprise at a conference a couple of years ago. And somebody said, oh, I was at one of the enterprise branches just last Friday. And somebody at that branch came up to me and said, oh, by the way, you might get a survey and only the mm -hmm. top box counts. Mm -hmm. And so this is a Friday night. I hadn't been working for enterprise in about eight years. I went home and I remembered this story. And at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, I sent an email to Andy Taylor, mm -hmm. the chairman and CEO of this now $20 billion company. Um, in five minutes, Andy Taylor had responded to me and said, I'm on it. By Monday, this executive had heard from the regional general manager for Texas where this incident had occurred in a branch and had been told how sorry we were that this gaming had occurred. 
There was wow. a coaching conversation yes. with the, yeah. So the, the leaders have right. really got to make gaming an yeah. illegal thing. Right. You've got to decide whether this is a value you really believe in. If customer loyalty is really a value, then there's no place for gaming. It's going to happen. The leaders have to just be prepared for it, have a policy, and educate against it, really. Correct. Last few moments, we reviewed the three principles, the six practices, and you mentioned the 11 huddles. Share a little bit of context around these, the importance and what these 11 huddles are. We recognize people are so busy. Um, and so how can we take these powerful principles and practices and make it easy for anyone to be a loyalty leader? I could be, uh, you know, leadership is a, a choice, not a position, as our founder said. So how could anybody be a loyalty leader in their work team? Um, and, and so what we've done is created these 11 short 10, 15 minute huddles. Mm. You can do them with your work group. You can do them across the organization. The book, there's a chapter on each of the huddles. Mm. And in each huddle, we bring to life the loyalty principle or practice with powerful stories. At the end of each chapter, there's a series of questions. So you have somebody, Scott, would you lead huddle three for us tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Read the chapter, share your thoughts initially on what you thought, um, and then ask the questions. So what you do in the huddle is you teach. Um, then you celebrate like crazy mm. all the examples of how people are, are being generous. So are, important. Are discovering the real yeah. job to be done. Yeah. It means people, what gets celebrated is what gets focused right, on. Right. And, and then we make a little commitment. Hey, can we just try to do this, discover the job to be done a little better between now and next week so we can celebrate stories and then plan the next huddle. So rather than having a, you know, a long book, let's have 11 short huddles to bring these powerful principles to life on our team and weave it through the fabric of how we do business with each other and our customers every day. Sandy, your energy is contagious. I mean, it's so great to have someone in the customer service industry be so uh, thoughtful, experienced, but also kind of excited. I can tell you see not just glimmers of hope, but like pockets of greatness happening all around the world, especially as clients work with Franklin Covey on our loyalty offering. People can bring the offering into their organization through a work session. You can come in and teach it. You keynote a lot. You spend a lot of your time keynoting to conferences and organizations evangelizing these principles. Is that true? I do. And it, it, what's so exciting for me is this idea is the most powerful thing that we can do as leaders at any level in our organization is to put other people into a position to enrich lives. Your book comes out with your co-authors, I think, in November, November about three 7th. or four months. I think it's available now for pre-order as well. We will have you back on closer to book launch because I want to talk more about the concepts in the book. Sandy, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank what you an so honor! Much. I'm going to make sure my wife, when she has a bad experience, <laughs> doesn't post it online, but like you know, goes aside, ask the manager for, and gives them some feedback because we know every manager, every leader wants that feedback so that they can you know course correct and and train their people well. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Hey, thanks for your time, and we hope you had an inspiring session with Sandy today, and we'll see you back here next week with our next guest. Thanks so much for joining us.